everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. This is Allison. Hello, we're I'm married. also one of the lead pastors here. Also true, uh, and we're also married. If you uh, brought your Bibles or grabbed one in on your way in or would like to, now would be a good time to grab those and open up to John chapter 13. Today we're going to do something a little bit different than we have been doing, and there's a few things that we've realized over the years uh, that aren't even the necessarily the most important, although a few of the things that we will share today are very core to who we are here at the Vineyard, but uh, there, are, there are things that make us a little bit unique, maybe compared to other churches that you might have come from or have visited in the past. The Vineyard has always been a place that doesn't fit into clear categories of we're a conservative church or we're a progressive church. We're trying to hold what we sometimes call the radical middle. In other words, we're following Jesus and trying to not tilt toward a political pull or even kind of traditional church lines as historically they've been drawn. And so uh, as, as we've been saying to leaders, this, these are things that like they're who we are and we're willing to sacrifice for them and they've actually become part of what we say in a newcomer's lunch and it seems like every time we do a newcomer's lunch we refine it just a little bit. Uh, We always include a heavy dose of relationship and getting to know one another but I know that a lot of people in this room haven't been to a newcomer's lunch in five years, ten years, 15 years. And while the the positions of like the vineyard haven't really shifted, the culture has changed a lot. And so the places that we feel that we need to speak into have also shifted. I mean, really, it really got hot in the last three years. You know, I wonder why. Um, But if you guys would stand, we're going to start by just orienting ourselves by reading a few of the words of Jesus. And we stand because we trust the Bible. That's going to be a big theme of today. But also we stand to honor the God who wants relationship with us and reveals himself to us through these words. So, John 13, verse 34, again, these are the words of Jesus. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, You should love each other, and your love for one another will prove or show to the world that you are my disciples. I'm just going to read that again. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will show to the world that you are my disciples. So pray with me. Come Holy Spirit, we need your help in understanding what it means to love like you did, and we need your spirit to actually do it. We need your spirit to draw us and correct us 
and bring us into a place of perfect love, perfect uh, harmony, unity, and and we're, we're designed, God, to bring this message of hope and this amazing love to the world, and we need your help doing that too. So be our teacher today, Jesus. Actually speak to us through your words, and let it be also that we represent your word well. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So there are four things we want to talk about today, and I've actually ranked them in order of least controversial to most controversial, but the order may also be controversial. We'll see. Uh, And not that we are defined by controversy, but you see, even in the person of Jesus, he says things that offend religious people and irreligious people, and there are moments where he says things, and almost everybody leaves him, except for a very small handful of men and women. And Jesus looks at them and says, aren't you going to leave me too? And they say, where would we go? You have the words of life. And so I think that's our posture, and it's... It's a changing world, and we're trying to stay faithful to Jesus in an in a environment that tries to put words into Jesus' mouth a lot of times. So I want to start with our mission here at the Vineyard. You hear us use this phrase a lot, but we believe that we're here to love like Jesus, right? Just like the passage just showed us, like Jesus says, love each other like I have loved you. But our tendency is to kind of, like I said, put words in Jesus' mouth or even say, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that because Jesus wouldn't want me to feel that way. Uh, You know, Jesus becomes this kind of fuzzy idea that we can project ourselves onto. And so Jesus, as it turns out, always agrees with me or like you. And uh, he's just kind of a, a buddy up there in heaven, giving us the eternal thumbs up, like, you're doing great. Keep going. You do you, man. But that's, that's not the Jesus in the Bible. I think you would be surprised, if you haven't done this recently, to read through the Gospels and find out what Jesus really says and how he actually lives. And there's, a, there's kind of a parallel passage in one of John's letters, 1 John chapter 2, where he actually, John, the disciple of Jesus, says, Jesus is the embodiment of love. And so when we define what love is, we don't want to go to a fuzzy idea. We don't want to let love define it or, you know, the latest Netflix series you've watched define what true love really is. We want to go to the person of Jesus. And what we find in Jesus, if we believe that everything he does is showing us what it means to love one another, is that Jesus sometimes rebukes in love and corrects in love and always, always, always with everybody gives a message of repentance. In other words, turn back to God. You've been going to synagogue faithfully for 100 years. Well, that'd be for 10 10 years, 20 years. Turn back to God. You haven't set foot in a synagogue because you don't feel like you deserve to be there. Turn back to God. And the message is, there's forgiveness for you. There's grace for you. I love you. But follow me. And Jesus says things like, obey my commandments. 
And he gives messages like in the Sermon on the Mount, like I have actually designed humans in a way for them to flourish in a way that I have designed. And so uh, we here have an emphasis on loving like Jesus, but it it's, it's goes deeper than that because loving like Jesus cannot just be an external thing. It comes out of who we are. And so we have an emphasis on formation here at the Vineyard, and that is, in other words, pushing us toward who we are becoming and inviting us toward self-awareness so that we repent when we need to or repair relationships when we've broken them. And so just, I guess, by, by way of example here, uh, somebody told me, hey, you were really good at math, weren't you? And I was thinking, I mean, I, I did actually get A's in math. Uh, but I'm not sure if I was good at math or not. I just learned the secret. So if you're, if you're a kid here today, listen to this. You want to get A's in math? This is how you do it. I learned that I'm always going to make a mistake. And if I go back and check my work and say, where did I make the mistake and fix it? I can get an A. And so too in life. You are always going to make a mistake. You will inevitably make a mess. Can you come to a place where you're aware of the mess you made and, and work to fix it? And so language we use around here is stay calm, stay connected, and stay curious. And when I stay calm, sometimes I think I just have to like not lose my cool. But I think staying calm has more implications than that. It means I'm going to stay non-defensive. It means I'm not going to run away when I feel triggered or or shame, or if I'm gonna, if I take a break, I'm like, I need to cool down, I'll be back. Uh, to stay connected, I mean, this, this actually, this comes up a lot, and we, we see people choosing ideas or theology over people. So we've lost, in this world, uh, the ways that we can disagree or fight and still stay connected. And again, part of that is, being willingness to repair and say, I'm sorry I lost my cool, I still disagree with you, but I didn't behave the way that I wish I would have behaved. I might have been a little arrogant, for instance, or I was really actually defensive there, and I'm sorry. And finally, you know, staying curious is just part of it, trying to understand where people are coming from. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have, like, a few theological convictions, because we rest on the authority of the Bible, we actually trust the Bible. We have a high view of the Bible. And so in the vineyard, we have a few things that we've, we've really held up, like Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. Jesus actually makes claims about himself that make us draw the conclusion that he is the Son of God. But if you ever have read the vineyard statement of faith, you'll also realize that there's a lot that is purposely vague. So you may have been raised in a Methodist church or a Catholic church or unchurched or, did I say Baptist? I never want to leave the Baptists out. Reformed, Presbyterian. So you, you may have come from a church that had a lot of specificity around a lot of beliefs. And if you didn't believe all the right things, then you were kind of like in trouble. And, and we're actually saying it's okay that you have beliefs that differ from other people in the room or even differ from mine or hers, 
but we want to choose staying connected. We choose people over winning arguments. And we, we are going to be okay with um, some weird thinking, I guess. But we're going to instead emphasize uh, a push toward, well, what, I'm, what I said before, formation. So, Allison, why don't you cover what I'm missing here or add some I think you did great. I don't know that I this. can add more to that. Um, yeah, you know, it is. It's, I, I think so much can be wrapped up in, I need to have the right ideas, I need to have the right beliefs, I'm, I'm clutching tightly to my beliefs because we think that that is what ultimately gives us stability and salvation and peace. But really, Jesus is a person. He's a person. He's not an idea, right? And so when we say love like Jesus, inherent in that is that we need to actually close the gap between our aspirational values, the things that we aspire to think and feel and do, um, and, and live that out, become people who, just like Jesus did, put flesh on, you know, has skin in the game, and actually uh, talks and behaves and loves and forgives and pursues and reconciles uh, like Jesus. That's who we're trying to become. And so, just like Amos said, I mean, when you, when you sit with us, we hope that you've experienced this so far, you know. Um, we're, not going, we're not going to stay on on the level of theological debate with you too long, right? We're going to actually ask you, tell me how this affects your life. Tell me how this piece of thinking about God or the world or the church, how is this actually helping you, serving you to show up and become the kind of person God is inviting you to be? Um, and, and we all just have such a deficit there, right? The gap is big. And, and that is why... Um, Formation is something we're just going to hold so closely to. Um, is is going to be challenging us. Like, let's not hide behind our ideas. Let's not weaponize our ideas. We see this happening a lot, right? Um, we're, we're demonize people who think differently than than us. No, no, that would never. That happen. would never happen, right? No, but it, it is. It's happening. Um, and gosh, uh, you know, our hope is we can control us, right? We, I can control myself, and I can love someone freely who absolutely disagrees with me um, because I can let them be them and I get to be me, right? And so often I, I just, I'm looking around and seeing so many of you when you've been um, stirred up by things and I'll say, you know, angry about somebody's behavior, angry about someone's belief and I'll say, well, how, what is that saying about you that that other person believes this thing? You know, and I would say 99% of the time when I ask you guys those questions, you go, oh, you're right, I guess that is about the other person and I'm trying to make it about me. I'm trying to make it my personal mission to change someone else. And that's not what we're doing here. We are letting the Holy Spirit do that work. Uh, I think that's what I would have to say. Yeah. Can I, I poke like him you. a little? Yo, poke. Sure. Okay. Guard I'll your ribs right now. I'm going to poke you in the ribs. Too hard. That's why I'm up here. I'm like... Okay. So we're, we're like following Jesus, but not following Jesus in a vacuum. Like we're following Jesus in the cultural environment, but also in kind of a Western church environment. And so we think that the, the way the church operates here in the West, which has been greatly influenced by the Enlightenment, yeah. by the like, we are brains on a stick, that's what it means to be human. Um, and so when we, when we think about uh, the meat of spirituality or going deep, what do you think about? 
ideas, hard intellectual concepts. But you know what Jesus says the meat is? He says, my food is doing the will of the Father. And there's a a million ways in our lives that we'll be able to say yes to God. But the, the orienting principle for us, again, is the person of Jesus and his command to love. Can I get an amen? That wasn't too pokey. That was just good. Okay. It's fun to be up here with you. Just color commentating. I don't know. All right. Okay. Number two. Things will go a little faster here. Sexuality. And you thought, I thought we were going in order of less controversy. Um, I'm, I'm using controversy in terms of like, looking at the Bible as authority, assuming that, and saying, among Christians, where is the debate happening? And again, there are Christians who would define sexuality and God's design for sexuality differently than we're designing it. And We're not designing it. Designing it, defining it. Yep, sorry. That's important. What we're saying is God's design. Um, But I guess when I look at the church globally, and historically, the debates around the Bible's teaching on sexuality are not controversial. By, and this is by my assessment. But let's, I want to I just again root us in Scripture before I say anything else about it. This is from Acts 15, verse 28. This is, um, this is the apostles trying to decide how Gentiles, in other words, people living in pagan cities and not raised Jewish, should... Uh, apply to their lives the Jewish code or Jewish laws. And so do they, I mean, the the real question is, do I have to get circumcised? That's what the guys really want to know. And they say, no, you don't. And you don't have to do the festivals that the Jews did, and you don't have to follow the food laws with like one or two minor exceptions. But here's what they say. Here's what the disciples of Jesus say. For it seemed good to the Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you Gentiles than these few requirements you must abstain from, and they mentioned don't eat food sacrificed to idols, but I mean, that's, that's applicable to some play, people in some places in the world today, but I'm skipping that for sexual immorality. Now, that doesn't actually define what sexual immorality is by itself, but if you realize that it's pointing back to the Old Testament law, the Torah, and if you read the span of the New Testament, Almost all of the Old Testament teaching around human sexuality is reaffirmed in the New Testament. And if this is a, if this is a hard pl- place for you to hear what I'm saying, keep listening. But also, I mean, I, I said this years ago. I wish the Bible was less clear on this. Because <laughs> it would be easier to just be open and affirming and have no ceilings and no boundaries and no limits around sexuality because, well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this first. Because I don't think same-sex attraction is actually a choice. And I think gender dysphoria is real. And I think the desire to have sex outside of marriage is strong. And if I am honest with what I believe the Bible is teaching... I think we can draw the conclusion that God's design for sex is inside of marriage between a man and a woman. 
And even the terms man and woman are controversial today. Can you say something? Something. <laughs> and then I'll say a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you, right, like you can feel in the room, like, okay, that was mic drop, and everyone's a little bit holding their breath right now, right? So I guess what I would say is if you're feeling tension around this, that's probably good and okay and not going to resolve, right? And so here, here's, I don't know if you find this encouraging, I kind of do, uh, but the reality is the vineyard, just like we alluded to earlier, it's a, it's a mashup. It's a very, very new denomination, very, very new movement. And so we're a mashup of all types of spiritual heritages, all types of uh, people coming in with different formation. And so we have a ton of different struggles, hang-ups, pain, hurt, abuse around the idea of our bodies, around our sexuality, right? And, and so when we hear that word, uh, you're going to just feel some tension. Because I think Jesus' sexual ethic challenges all of us. doesn't matter where you land on your belief about sexual identity. Uh, when you hear his words, like, that is challenging. And so there, there's just an invitation to stay in the tension and realize um, that I'm going to have to be a more spacious person to try to stay in a space that is this diverse. Yeah. In terms of, yeah. And we've, we've actually shifted how we approach this topic since becoming lead pastors, and I think it's because the world has changed. Like, we, we, I still, it's never going to become a major point of emphasis for me in my teaching. But we used to not talk about it. We used to say, let's, let's treat it pastorally on a case-by-case basis. And so we can be sensitive because there's, it's very hard to talk about because we're talking about people with real pain and people who are deserving of love and friendship and civil rights, um, human rights. They're not deserving of bullying or hate or like nobody is. That's what I'm trying to say here. Um, but we've, we've come to the realization <laughs> that it is actually kind to be upfront and to be clear and to avoid confusion uh, or we don't want anybody to be, to be surprised a few years in when we describe how we hold the tension between Jesus' command to love and his posture of radical welcome with his teachings on sexuality and the New Testament, the churches, his disciples who knew him best application of his teachings. So here, here's, we actually don't feel like you, we can resolve the tension. Like, there are some things where you can be like, oh, here's a consistent position that takes the entirety of Scripture and solves all the problems of it. So the way we live in this tension, rather than resolve the tension, is we say that everybody is welcome to worship, communion, participation in small groups, baptism, serving the poor. Like, I, you have access to Jesus no matter who you are. And if you were listening to the video, like a church is a community, it's people, everybody is in need of grace, everybody is in need of forgiveness. Nobody makes it on their own merits, only on the mercy of God. And when we read about what 
God asks of leaders in the church, we find that there is a higher standard, or to use the language of 1 Timothy chapter 3, we say leaders and other spiritual, others with spiritual influence are committed to a, quote, life above reproach and a willingness to repent when we mess up or when we make messes, for instance. Uh, so none of, us, none of us is perfect, and we all need to course adjust, but a willingness to say, I'm going to submit my entire self, including my sexuality, including my Facebook posts, every single one of them, <laughs> uh, to the Lordship of Jesus. And, and that's, that's not satisfying for everybody. And this is how we do it here. Anything else you want to add? Okay. Uh, we did do a class on this a few years ago, and I anticipate spending some time more specifically in second session. But again, I, I, don't, I don't see it as a, something I want to get into too deep on a Sunday morning preaching slot. So the third, and this is... Uh, this is not controversial, but it's unique. It's the way that we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the way that we believe that God speaks and is active in the world today. And we actually, if you're, if you're here, or uh, if you've been with us through the change and how we pray for each other, you've experienced this. But we also know that it, it's pretty unusual for churches in the West, again, not necessarily unusual for churches in, in the south or east uh, in terms of like believing that God does miracles. And the reason is, again, it's because we have a paradigm that has been largely shaped by a materialist or a secular worldview. And if, if you didn't grow up with that worldview, you're very, much more open to the act of, of the supernatural events, whether that be from the good side or from the bad side, you know, whether it be God or demons. And um, I, let me just read from Acts chapter 1. It's one of my favorite little passages. It's a sneaky one. In my first book, I told you Theophilus. This is the opening to Acts. And he's talking about Luke. In my first book, called Luke, which is the name of the writer, we call it Luke. He probably didn't call it Luke. That would be a little strange. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So began implies what? It's continuing, and it's continuing through what I'm going to tell you next, through the work of the church. And what, is, what happens in Acts over and over and over and over again? There's power. God shows up, heals somebody. There's a prophecy given. There's what we would say these like supernatural occurrences and there's proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And that while there's a bunch of people or a bunch of things or a bunch of forces that are competing for that place in each of our hearts, we are called to turn to him and to lay everything down at his feet. And uh, this is actually Jesus shows up between his resurrection and his ascension in the book of Acts. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So that's a way of just saying power and proclamation. Like we have a message of hope and of like what it means to have good relationship with God primarily, but also how that affects the way we relate to one another. 
and we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And there's a, there's a little quote by D.L. Moody that I shared with the leaders. He's like, if you were to look at the church today and the Holy Spirit's presence or power was withdrawn, 95% of what churches do would continue. But if you were to look at the early church, 95% of what they were able to do was because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the church would not have continued. And so we are resting, putting our hope in the fact that we're not alone in the mission that Jesus called us to, to love one another and to love the world, or to heal broken hearts or broken bodies. Like we, we create space in the middle of every service to say, come Holy Spirit. And why don't you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, and if you've been here for a bit, or even if you haven't, hopefully your experience of what this feels like in the room is one of uh, no hype. You know, that's a phrase that we hear in the vineyard a lot. We dial down um, when, when things seem to get crazy and God shows up in unexpected, powerful ways like he can. Uh, we don't add our weirdness or our craziness or our energy on top of that, right? We just let, we let God do what he's going to do in the moment. And again, you can kind of sense already as we've been talking, it's, it's just yet another space in the life of our church where we hold tension. Um, we, we believe that God can come in power and do things right now in the moment and heal and help people get breakthrough and give freedom. And then we also believe that we're human and there's sin in the world and we don't always see the kingdom come fully in the moment even when we ask for it. Right? And so it's just very possible that when we say, come Holy Spirit, we are acknowledging he is here, he is at work. That is the baseline assumption when we pray that in the room. Come Holy Spirit, do what you want to do today. And what that looks like is some people, you'll notice, are just powerfully touched. They're having a, a deep and meaningful and significant encounter with the Spirit. We can see that happening. Uh, and then others uh, look like, just a regular day at church, right? Like, we're just kind of, it's okay. I'm not feeling anything. I don't have a, a strong sense of anything. I'm not getting a word of knowledge. I don't feel any sensation in my body, and that's okay. That's actually okay, again, because we're not in control. I think that's where it lands, right? We, we don't um, manipulate a moment. We don't manufacture a feeling. We're not conjuring something up. Uh, we're okay to live in the humanity of, God, I'm, I'm just in your presence, and you get to be for me right now uh, what you want what you want, and how you yeah. want to live. Now, this, again, this subject probably do, may not feel controversial to you if you've been in the vineyard a while or had an experience of God's kind of power, uh, or if you're here, you're probably at least open to it. But there, I, I know from personal experience and where I came from, I was very uncomfortable with this like i had to i had to shift not only my thinking but my posture toward what was po it wasn't even what was possible but what god would do um and if you have friends who go to other churches and i mean bring up the, pow the power of the holy spirit or the supernatural miracles i mean you'll find out how controversial this is <laughs> pretty quickly and uh, if you go outside the church you'll find people are actually hungry and open for healing 
and for an experience of God. But I was actually taught, here's where it comes through, I was taught you can't trust experiences. You can't trust emotions. You can only trust the Bible. Now, the hiccup is that the Bible actually teaches that these things happen. And, I mean, I see this, um, I see how, for instance, the miracles of Jesus are often turned into moral lessons instead of demonstrations. So we would say love like Jesus. That's not controversial. Pray like Jesus. Okay. I don't know about that. Hang on. So number four, this is actually the most controversial when it comes to when you look at kind of Christians over history, uh, reading the Bible, trying to understand the dynamic. And it is none other than women in leadership. Again, maybe not controversial for you if you're here. You're probably not super offended that Allison is standing beside me. Uh, But, I mean, yeah, we have said goodbye to good friends over this issue in our church, and it's deeply sad. It makes us really, really sad. Um, And it's because when you read the letters of Paul, he says things like, I don't permit women to speak or teach in the church. And if that is all we had, the case is closed. Except for then a few chapters later, he's like, when, when women prophesy, you know, it's pretty great. Or, to me, this is, this is why we can't simply um, accept the position of, well, like saying, women can't be in leadership. And we actually here obviously promote women as equally called, equally gifted, and equal in authority as men, and we do it largely because of Romans chapter, is it 16? Yes. There's, there's mentions here, and it's so fascinating. There's examples of Paul celebrating women in the early church in leadership. So I commend our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in, our, in the church. Now, again, if, we don't really have deacons here, but our financial assistance team is kind of like our deacons. That's an official title with authority for the New Testament church in this case. I give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. Now, you might not even be sure which one's man, woman there, but it's Priscilla. Uh, just funny names. Uh, my co-workers, co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. That is a strong endorsement of a power couple of the New Testament. And then finally, greet Androgynesis and Junia. Junia is the female here. My fellow Jews who are well-known among the apostles. So we have people with authority, status, calling, and power, teaching, preaching, prophesying in the New Testament. And so that's why when we read the sections of Paul that say women, I don't permit women to teach or preach, we're thinking there must be something specific going on in that church. Perhaps it's cultural, perhaps it's circumstantial, that he's saying not for all people, all churches, all time, but for this case, in this time, for this church, for instance, that Timothy is pastoring, we need to stop what's happening. So, I mean, we, we, I mean, this is pretty weird, right? In some cases, we're taking a, what would be called a progressive position. And in some cases, we're taking what is considered a conservative position. And here we are, following Jesus, in the radical middle. Anything you want to add? 
You're standing here is I'm like pretty strong. Uh, yeah. Example. Yeah. I, I had to. Yes, there you go. Say amen every now and then. I had to change my own thinking about this to be able to stand up here, right? This is not my, my spiritual, spiritual heritage would not have allowed me to do what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, and I think my story is I was received many prophetic words over many years to walk into the calling that I'm in now. And so that is just discernment in community and a, a gift-based um, egalitarian way to go about it. Yeah. And that's who we are. And let me let me land on this. I I feel like we're standing on a good foundation because we're standing on the authority of the Bible and the person of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles. But I also feel like we have a good foundation because of you guys. And even if and when you have disagreed with us, you've told us and shown us that you trust us and that you love each other. Like when I talk about this church, I just, I see that you guys are here for the right reasons. You're because you love God, not for social status, which you cannot find here. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then and you love each other. And that's, that's why we gather, um, to glorify God, to encourage each other, to pray for each other. And so maybe we should do that. Great. Why don't you guys stand? Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.